I know that ended with the words, now go and be the church, but that is not actually an invitation for you to take off early. I'm going to ask you to do something a little strange. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just listen to the reading of the Word of God from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Okay, open your eyes and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I want to just give you this picture. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Acts is in the New Testament, which is in the back of the Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. All the big books are up front. You find them there. Go to Acts chapter 9, and I want to just give you this picture because there's this guy named Saul as the story is unfolding. He's a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, one of the priests, one of the people who's very threatened by this new following of Jesus. And he has set out to destroy the church. He has been given authority to go from city to city, dragging people from their homes. Anytime he finds people meeting as Christians and they're being put to death, they're being put on trial, they're being imprisoned and they're suffering for their faith, and he is at the head of all of this. And we pick up his story in chapter 9 of Acts, and it says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that is the church, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Okay, one more. Go to the back of your Bible, to the book of Revelation. And in the book of the Revelation, the very last book of your New Testament, we're introduced to the scene this way. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, which he had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice 
was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Three very different stories. Three very different encounters with the living God. But they have some things in common. The first is this. A genuine encounter with Christ humbles you. A genuine encounter with Christ is a very, very humbling experience. The thing that you see that they all have in common is that when they recognized that they were in the presence of God, all three of them immediately fell down. We fall down in the presence of God. There's something about the manifestation of the glory of God, something about the manifestation of his power and his presence in our lives that when you are close to him, you're immediately aware of your unworthiness to be close to him, right? And, and when you see his bigness, you're immediately aware of your smallness, when you see his holiness, you're immediately aware of your imperfection. And there's nothing you can do. You will not stick out your chest in the presence of the living God. You will not stand up and make your argument in the presence of the living God. You will fall on your face before God because an encounter with Christ is humbling. We see it in Isaiah verse 5, he falls down. We see it in Acts, in verses 4 and 5, he's knocked down. In, in John, in uh, Revelation, in John, uh, Revelation 1.17, he falls down like a dead man. This is John, who was Jesus' best friend for the last three years. And now he sees the glorified Christ, and immediately he falls on his face before him like a dead man. If you read your Bibles, you'll find Abraham does the same thing. You will find Joshua does the same thing. You will find Ezekiel does the same thing. You will find Daniel does the same thing. And the list goes on and on and on. It is a humbling thing to actually have an encounter with the living God. The second thing these two passages show us is that a genuine encounter with Christ is a calling. Isaiah, let me just go back to the passage in Isaiah and read to you verses eight and nine. After he sees all of this and he cries out about being unworthy and the angel comes and uh, cleanses him, then it says in verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And if you pick it up in verse nine, you find this is Isaiah's calling. He, he's first shown the, the power and the presence and the majesty of God. He falls on his face, he's humbled, he's cleansed. And then he says, send me. And God sends him. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, when he knocks Paul down on his face and Paul cries out and says, who are you, Lord? He immediately is aware that he's in the presence of the Lord. He tells him that it's Jesus and Paul's life is going to be transformed and Jesus says to him, now get up and go to this place where I will show you what it is that you have to do. And he gives him a calling. And the same thing happens in John, in Revelation with John. He, in verse 19, Jesus says to him, now, now that you've seen me, now that you've experienced this, I want you to start writing some stuff down. He instructs him to write the book of Revelation to increase his testimony from that point on. So there's this humbling encounter with Jesus that is followed by a calling. This, this manifestation of God, this encounter with Jesus, it leads to a calling. And with all of that in mind, 
I have a question for us to consider. Have you ever had a genuine encounter with Christ? Now, I'm not asking if, if you've heard an audible voice and seen a flash from heaven like Paul did. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking if, if you've been given a prophetic glimpse into the heavenly places and worshiped uh, uh, and seen the worship of angels. I'm not asking if you've seen a prophetic vision of the glorified Christ like John did. I'm asking if you know Jesus, if you know him, if he's introduced himself to you, have you come to know him as Lord and Savior? Is the Holy Spirit living within you? And, and listen, if the answer to that question is no, then I encourage you to stick around because you've come to the right place. If the answer to that question is no, then, then I encourage you to keep coming because here we serve this risen Savior. Here we open his word and we see him revealed before us and we get this opportunity to engage him, to be encountered with him. And if the answer to, your, to the question for you is no, not yet, I really don't know what you mean by an encounter with Jesus. I really don't know what you mean by a personal relationship with God. I mean, I've been to church, I know about religion and I've heard of the Bible and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know that I actually know him, then I am just thrilled that you are here, and I hope you'll be here next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. You are absolutely welcome here, and this is where you're going to find Jesus. So I encourage you with that. But if your answer to my question is yes, I have had an encounter with Christ. I do know him personally. The Holy Spirit does live within me. Then I have to follow up with these two questions. Have you humbled yourself before him? And are you living out the calling that he's placed in the lives of every single one of his followers? See, you show me a religious person whose life is not being transformed by Jesus. A religious person who is not being humbled and renewed by the presence of Christ constantly in his life. A, a, a religious person who is not actively involved in the Great Commission. You show me a religious person like that and I will show you a person who knows religion but doesn't know Christ. Because Christ is transformational. A relationship with him changes everything. Now, just one more passage. It's also in the book of Acts. So if you found Acts, I want you to go back to it. And I want you to go with me to Acts chapter one. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you the scene. Jesus has been crucified. He has risen on the third day and he has spent the last 40 days with uh, his disciples. He has eaten with them, walked with them, talked with them, gone fishing with them, sat on the beach with them, hung out with them, instructed them, prayed with them, encouraged them. That's what he's been doing now for six weeks. And here we pick it up in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together, that's those disciples, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth." This is the universal calling of Christ upon the lives of every single one of his followers. And if you know him, that's you. Your Jerusalem is that place right where you live. He's speaking to men who live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital city of Judea. And he's saying, here in Jerusalem, I want you to be my witnesses. I have planted you in a specific place at this specific time among specific people with a specific mission. You are to be my witnesses in Judea. 
you are to, in Jerusalem, you're to be my witnesses in Judea. Now, what is Judea? Judea is the surrounding area all around Jerusalem. So it would be as if I was to say, you are to be my witnesses in Duarte and all of the San Gabriel Valley. And then he goes on and he says, and Samaria. Now, this is getting tricky because Samaria is where the Samaritans live. And we don't like Samaritans if we're Jews. And Jesus is saying, I'm actually going to send you across a border to people you don't know, to places where you're uncomfortable, to people with whom you are not familiar and who are not in your heart, and you're going to have to go and love them too, across borders. And then he says, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's everywhere. You, he says, are going to be my witnesses. This is the commission that he gives to his church. He says we're to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. It's a universal calling for Christians everywhere. We're not just called to sit and enjoy Jesus. We're called to join him in his mission, to reach a world with care and compassion and comfort, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you walked in here today as a Christian, thinking, man, I just don't know if my life's that important. I just don't feel like there's anything going on. Things are kind of boring. I don't know what's really happening. I'm not sure my life is really all that important in the grand scheme of things. I have good news for you. You could not be more wrong. You have upon your life the highest calling that anyone has ever had. You are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the greatest life mission you could ever have to bring the love of Jesus to people everywhere. I don't know of a higher calling. Amen. And today I want to give you some clear examples of that. I want to give you a picture of what it looks like for us as a church family to be a part of that story. Because, see, in addition to bringing the love of Christ to bear in our Jerusalem, which might be our, our families, our, our neighborhoods, you know, maybe the workplace, he also has called us to bring the grace of God to Judea. We might have to actually get up and move for that. He's actually called us to go to Samaria, which may mean we have to go meet some people that we're not particularly interested in meeting. It might mean we have to go to a place that we don't really want to go. It might mean that we have to learn a language or a lifestyle or a culture with which we're not familiar. It might mean that we're going to have to eat different foods, speak a different language, sleep in different kinds of uh, places, and experience life in a very different way. And he says, yes, that calling is upon you too. And then he says, and if that's not far enough, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes, if there are people, Jesus cares for them. And he calls us to reach them. So, one way we do that at Grace Fellowship is through our involvement with a whole bunch of people who are actively in the mission field. Several weeks ago, we prayed with the Ellisons, Bo and Mim, right? We, we, these are longtime members of our church that we sent off to Kenya, and they are now there. Um, they've been there for about a month. They're going to be working at the Rift Valley Academy, and they're going to be touching the lives of students there and indirectly the lives of missionaries throughout Africa and the people that they're ministering to. They've been gone a month. Would you like to know how they're doing? Watch the screen. Hey y'all, um, we just wanted to give you a quick update about what our last few weeks have been like. Uh, most of you know we left the 1st of July, arrived 2nd, spent a week at RVA where we'll be, and then we jumped right into our Africa-based orientation, which is where we are now. It's a beautiful facility. Um, for those of you that are worried about us, uh, we have mosquito nets at night if needed. We have not gotten sick, uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, neither of us have gotten sick. Uh, we are eating well. We're eating um, very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the protests have been 
a little bit of an issue, but not much. So we're very happy. We kind of wanted to give you an overview of what we've been learning, um, how God has been growing us. And so I will start. And the first thing that I'm going to say is Jumbo, Havarigani. Um, and then I'm going to see, say, see Gina, see, see Langunini. That means my name is um, Gina Langunini Mim. Another phrase that we have learned is see Mama Hapa Tafadali. That means please stop here. We've taken local transportation and had to do that. And a third one, which is very, very important, is can you say that slowly? Una weza kusema pole pole. We had mentioned we were not expecting to do language learning, but we have done some. So that's an important component. Um, we uh, have started with world religions. We spent quite a bit of time on Islam, visited a local mosque, uh, spent time with the Imam, and that was fascinating. Uh, moving on to early um, Christianity and how Africa was involved in early Christianity, and we know that from several places in scripture, but that's particularly important when you're engaging people who say it's a Western religion. Uh, actually, no, Christianity has very strong roots in Africa, and we had a wonderful Kenyan who talked about that with us. Uh, we've had wonderful Kenyans uh, as presenters quite often. Um, then we spent uh, a day, I think, on security talking about risk and security, what that looked like, uh, particularly in an African context, um, what to do, what not to do. Um, and so it, it's been a whirlwind. That was our first uh, few days, uh, maybe week. Um, and so um, that has been wonderful. And the last thing that we talked about that I wanna mention and then Bo will share a lot more about what he has done, but Duncan was one of our presenters and he's been so innovative. Most of you know, we love to garden and he started an organic farm that is, um, I think three to five acres and brought samples in and gardening God's way and just really bringing practical knowledge to people from a very godly and biblical perspective. And we've really had the joy of, of learning from him. Um, and Bo will share a lot more about what he has talked about. Part of the purpose for us being here at Karat Africa is to prepare us and protect us um, while we're here on mission. Um, so one of the things we covered was spiritual warfare and what spiritual warfare might, might look like in working on a team in Africa. Uh, we had a session today on team dynamics and what a good team is, what a good team should have, and what a poor team is and what generally breaks up a team. So we've done a lot of uh, exercises on that and a lot of case studies. We're going to go on to emotional and physical health. And um, we also, on the weekends, we have Saturdays pretty much free. But on Sundays, we go to church. And we're going to be going to the same church we went to last week, um, which was a really great experience. We went with a very small team, like four of us, four or five of us. And um, we did great, had a great time, had a meal served there. Um, and Bo is going to be small preaching. effects, small effects from the meal, but we're okay. We're all okay. Um, and Bo is going to be preaching on Sunday. Uh, we're probably both going to be sharing along with another team member. So uh, that by the time you get this, that will already have happened. So pray in reverse, okay? Uh, that it went well, or that the message will keep on going after we have have yeah. gone. Um, Next week, we're going to be winding down our time here uh, on Tuesday and headed back up to RVA. That's part of the whole group of us. I think there's like 40 of us will be going up there because that's part of the training is to see the different missions that uh, different ministries that our AIM is doing and RVA is one of them. So we're going to head up to cooler climbs 
up to 7,200 feet again. And uh, we'll also see our home there, which is we're very excited about because while we've been down here, people have been moving our stuff into the home for us, which is kind of cool. We're looking forward to that. One thing I do want to tell you a little bit about, and Nim's going to do most of that, is inbound, te inbound teams, which is a thing that AIM has done, and I'm going to let her explain it. All right. So inbound teams, uh, we learned more about yesterday. Uh, every afternoon from 4 to 5, we have a different presenter come and talk about a different aspect of AIM divided into different regions. And this um, this had a lot to do with the inbound teams. What an inbound team is, it's a group of people who um, feel like God may be calling them to missions, but they're not sure and they need to get more information and get their feet wet. So it's, it's called a controlled landing. It's a one-year program that uh, groups of people come together from, could be all over the world, uh, are, team our group right now that's here uh, I think we have seven countries represented we have Australia the Netherlands UK the United States South Africa Brazil and Brazil so six um, but it's um, bringing people together who have an interest in missions and um, they focus on language learning they focus on really helping you experience firsthand for a year what it looks like to do long-term missions and for some of you who are seeing this um we are really hoping that god is calling you in that direction um it would be such a joy and we would be thrilled um to welcome you for that so we'll be sending information on that to uh pastor doug and the elders so that please ask them about inbound missions and if you're belonging to another church, that information is definitely available. We'd be happy to get it to you. Um, they're very excited. They are praying for uh, 10 new missionaries next year. So that would be in 2024. And we would love to be a part of just introducing you to Inbound so that you can go where God leads you. We love you lots. We miss you. Yep. And we really feel the effect of your prayers. Thank you so much for that. We could not be here without you. Yes, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, we talked about this quite a bit at their uh, sending off service, and we talked about the fact that this is not their ministry. This is the ministry of Grace Fellowship in Kenya, all throughout Africa. This is the ministry of the body of Christ worldwide that is happening all throughout Africa. Rift Valley Academy, where they're teaching, is sort of like a, a hub where all of these different missionary families connect so that they're able to do the job that they've been called to do all across the continent of Africa. We as a collective church family are part of that ministry through prayer, through encouragement, through financial support. Now, they've been gone about a month. <clears throat> are you still remembering to pray for them? Are, are, you, are you still supporting them financially? Are you staying in touch? Um, for at least the next two years, they plan to be in Kenya changing lives and carrying out the mission of Jesus. By the way, did you notice the emphasis that they put on the fact that they're not the only ones God has called to pull up stakes and go across borders and invest in kingdom work in other places? And that needs to be something we're open to. Most of us think that missionaries are other people who go and we stay here and pray for them. And that may be very well what God has called you to do. But God may call you to actually get up and go do the same thing. If he does, are you ready to answer that call? Something to think about. But the Overseas Ministry of Grace Fellowship doesn't end with the Ellisons and what they're doing. We also support another family that is doing something very similar. The Smalley family, Jay and Lisa Smalley and their three kids, are missionaries in Spain 
also teaching at a very similar school, also uh, making it possible for missionaries to have their kids educated while they're doing their ministry. They teach students, invest in their lives, disciple kids, they do all of that kind of stuff. And they are currently here in California for a time of sabbatical, but their plan is to head back to Spain as soon as God opens those doors. And uh, please be praying for them that they'll get rest and restoration. One of, the, one of the lousy things about the way so many missions organizations works is that when a missionary family comes home to their home country on sabbatical, they don't actually rest. They go around trying to raise money so they can go back. And so be praying for the smallies because they do need to raise money so they can go back and because they do need to get that rest. But they're here in California at this time. Hopefully we'll have them here sometime soon. There's another family that we also support uh, and have supported for many, many years. They too are based in Europe, but their ministry is primarily to the Arab world. Now, I'm very specifically not mentioning their names uh, and we're not showing the, the photo that you guys are seeing on the internet because the ministry in which they're involved is dangerous. And it could be a threat if people understood who they are, where they are, and what they're doing. So I'm going to speak in a little bit of code here because all of this is going out over the internet. But I meet with him once a month at least. We meet through the incredible blessing of modern technology face-to-face -face on FaceTime or Google Meet or something like that. We spend at least an hour or two together every month praying for one another, encouraging. I get reports and updates on what's going on in their ministry. And you guys, every time I get off of one of those calls, I just want to dance through the halls because I'm hearing what God is doing in the Arab world. What God is doing in the Muslim world that is not getting reported, that we're not hearing about, but there is something crazy going on in Saudi Arabia. The Spirit of God is just, is just falling on different uh, Muslim people, and Jesus is introducing himself to Muslims in the Arab world. And it's happening in record numbers. Churches are starting to form. And in a place like Saudi Arabia, where it is definitely a Muslim country, but which is open to the West, they give a little bit of space for this. And neat things are beginning to happen there. Also in North Africa. Uh, you know, when we think of North Africa, we're talking about like Morocco and Egypt, the very top part of the continent. In North Africa, again, it's completely Muslim dominated. It's an Arab state and uh, the gospel is not welcome. And so you can't just go there as a missionary. But what this family does is they are stationed in Europe and they recruit, train, and support those workers who are going to those places. And those people can get visas. Most of them are Latin Americans. Fascinating. They've, they fit in better. They, they look a lot like the people that they're living amongst. And they can get visas to come in as workers. And they come in and work and they share the gospel with their co-workers and people are coming to know Christ. What you probably haven't heard much about is what's happening in Cuba. You see, Cuba, this communist regime that has been shut off to Christianity for so long, a couple of years ago, opened the window and said, you know what? Christianity is welcome here. And, and missionaries have come and churches have been planted and Cubans are coming to know Jesus Christ in record numbers. It's cool, but it's not one faceted, not single faceted. Because you know what's happening? Those Cubans who have lived their entire lives in extreme poverty, who know what it's like to deal with repressive political regimes, who can handle living that way, are being called into the mission field and they are heading to North Africa and the Middle East. Cubans as Christian missionaries. And this family is training them, recruiting them, supporting them, and dispersing them to do the work of Christ. It's an amazing, incredible thing that's happening. God is stirring a work in the Arab world. <clears throat> we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for all that God is doing in those ways. And you know what? Grace Fellowship is a big part of that. We've been a major support to this family uh, for decades now. And it's an amazing thing.
And it's not just individual missionaries that we're supporting. We're also supporting missions organizations that are on the front lines. One of those uh, is familiar to you if you've been a part of this church for any length of time. It's called Reigning Hope. Reigning Hope is a, started out as a children's home in Jinjin, Uganda. And uh, what happened is, when I first met the kids of Reigning Hope, they were all preschoolers or early elementary age. And now, they are high schoolers, college students, and young adult professionals. It's amazing. There's only just a couple of little ones running around the place now. They're all older and they're being launched. Now, here was the vision of Reigning Hope. They were going to invest in a small group, about 30 plus uh, kids that were high risk kids in Uganda and make a lifetime investment in them. They were going to feed them, clothe them, house them, educate them, all of that, share Christ with them, disciple them and be parents to them. They did that with this vision in mind that that would be the generation that reaches their country, that that would be the generation that solves some of the problems that have been ongoing in that part of the world. And they are raising them up. And guess what? They are now becoming lawyers, becoming doctors, becoming nurses, becoming social workers. They are now going out. They also planted a community church, Reigning Hope Church, right there in the community, and they're reaching hundreds in their neighborhood for Christ. And they have a radio ministry that's going across the airwaves and all of that part of Africa at least once a week, leading people to Christ and teaching the Word of God. It's an amazing thing. In fact, our dear friend uh, Edie is there right now because they're launching another group of high school graduates who are now going off to college or getting married or whatever they're doing. And it's just the coolest thing to watch because I'm telling you, that group of kids is going to change the world. And we get to be a part of that. So that's exciting for me. But that's not our only Ugandan ministry. We also uh, partner with a ministry called Wells of Hope. Now, don't get confused. Reigning Hope and Wells of Hope are two different ministries, okay? They're, they're not affiliated. In fact, as far as I know, the only thing they have in common is Grace Fellowship. But um, Wells of Hope is based also in Uganda, and they are also changing the world by changing the lives of children and adults, our dear brother, who many of you know, is Francis Subi. He is the founder of Wells of Hope, uh, and he was a member of our church for several years when he was here in the States. So many of you know Francis, you're praying for him, you remember him. Uh, he was a member of our church, and now he lives full-time in Uganda. He travels as necessary for the ministry. The ministry of Wells of Hope touches the lives of hundreds of at-risk children every single day, education, housing, healthcare, evangelism, social work, discipleship. They're training up a generation of godly people. These are the kids that are at the highest risk. Their parents are incarcerated. But their ministry goes beyond just the children. They minister directly to the prisoners in Uganda who have no one else to care for them. They lead prisoners to Christ. They disciple them. They go into the prisons. They have this ongoing relationship with the prisons and they're able to go in. And then when those people are released, if they're released, they help them transition back into life on the outside. There's social work, job training, microfinancing, all kinds of Christian ministry that Wells of Hope is doing with them. And one of their most uh, impactful ministries is a halfway house for women. That when these women come out of incarceration, many of them have nowhere to go. They come to Wells of Hope and they're able to stay for up to six months where they're ministered to and trained and taught. And I could tell you more, but rather than me telling you more, all the way from Uganda, Shipra has come to talk with us today. So I want to invite our sister Shipra to come up and join me up here. Welcome her. I'm going to give you this microphone. Now, uh, as, as she comes, let me just tell you, Shipra is a social worker who runs and leads the halfway house for women 
there in Uganda. And so um, when I heard you were coming to California, I was like, yes, you've got to come on a Sunday so people can meet you and hear what's going on. So um, I want to give you a chance just to greet everybody, and then I want to ask you a couple questions so you can tell us about what's going on there. Praise God, church. Yes. Praise Jesus. Like Pastor Doug has said, I am so happy to be here today to get to see the beautiful faces of Grace Fellowship Church. We've had so much about you, and to be here right now, it's such a great honor. We are giving glory back to Christ right now. Amen. Amen. So I want you to tell us a little bit about why there's even a need for this halfway house ministry. Like, wh- what do we need to know as Americans that we wouldn't understand that makes this ministry necessary? Oh, thank you so much. So uh, I would talk like for days, but I'll try to summarize. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> already happens, watching the clock from what me. What happens to women and incarceration in Uganda? First of all, Wells of Hope initially, its main goal was to reach out to children that have parents in prison. But as we went through the ministry, we discovered there is a group of uh, people that needed much help as the children, and these were their mothers. So when the women are incarcerated in Uganda, oh my God, she would never show face. (laughs) I am formally incarcerated myself. I got to spend two weeks in prison, and in these two weeks, I saw so much. Like women seated up in prison, waiting for what God will bring unto them. Like, the system has given up on them. They are not finding the justice. The poverty rates are high. They cannot afford lawyers to stand up up to their cases. The ignorance, the illiteracy levels are high. None of them will, is like strong enough to stand before the courts of law and say, I did not commit that crime. So they are just waiting for the mercy of God. So when they eventually, or when they are planning to, or preparing to be released from uh, their prisons, they do not even have hope that they will be received back in their homes. They are ashamed. Their families were like, women, you are supposed to be holy. You are supposed to be religious. You are supposed to be the mother of the nation. So how did you end up in prison? And yet, if we go to look at it and to it, they are as victimized or they are at the verge or they, are, they can end up in prison at any time, just like anyone else. So when they eventually come out of prison, we usually tell, tell, tell them, they, it's like serving a second sentence. You have served the jail term, whatever it is you were out there, but then community is waiting for you to punish you again. Families will disembark you, they will not accept you back, and eventually you'll end up trying to find your life around, which will eventually lead you into something illegal or maybe will end you back to prison. So that is what we do at Worlds of Hope Ministries. I am happy to lead the group of women that are uh, returning from prison to the communities and helping them to resettle back in their communities effectively, successfully, and faithfully towards the ministry or towards the God that they serve day in, day out. So when they come, uh, I have a couple questions. One, how long do they stay? And two, like, what do you do to get them ready to, to um, live on the outside? Um, So we believe, I do talk to, when we are talking to the women, we say the day you are imprisoned, you start to envision what life will be like when you are released. Mm. You go in and then the first thing that will come to your mind will be, oh, when I go out, where will I find my kids? I'll go to my home. Maybe I'll go to school. Maybe I'll do this and this. So you start planning your time for when you get out. So we start also engaging with these women immediately. They go into prisons. So every month, we do visit each prison. We have 49 women prisons in Uganda with a total of over 3,000 women currently serving jail term, of which has been growing over time. So we visit the prisons like each, each month. We engage with the women in what we call in-prison re-entry sensitization, telling them so much about what will happen when they get released. And among those, we identify those that have lost touch with their families. Or they'll tell you, I do not know what my family is up to ever since I came here. They have no, I've not heard from them. I have just been surviving on government food, which is not the best. Hmm. And I don't know what happened to my kids, so I do not know what life will be when I get out. So we prepare them for their release day. And on the release day, some will tell you, I do not have a clothes that I'll come out to. So when you're coming for me, please get me a dress, get me shoes. I've had scenarios where we pick the women on the release day, and she has no shoes. So you'll be like, oh my god, you don't have shoes here. Yeah, that's a luxury here. So you have to go to the store and then get a pair of shoes. So when we have the women come to the home, they can spend up to three to six months, also depending on the needs that they have. So we prepare them for their integration. 
Some will need a family unification, where you have to engage the families on two reconciliation programs. Some will have to embark on independent living, starting from scratch. You know what that is like. Like, you get out, you don't have a house. Once you get a house, you don't have even a bed sheet or a blanket or even a mattress to start with. So we prepare them. So in that time, the three to six months that they are there, they engage in counseling. We attach them to churches. We get them mentors. Uh, we do train them in skills. It is almost impossible for one to get gainfully employed in Uganda if you have been in prison, like you have a prison record. No one will hire you to maybe to work in their homes, to work in their shops, to work in their businesses. So the best alternative you have is to learn something that will help you to employ yourself. So we take them through skills, we teach them how to tailor so I, it's, I'm sad I don't have any pictures. Ah. We teach them how to tailor, we teach them how to bake, we teach them how to cook, how to knit, how to clean. Something they can go out there and start up an income generating activity that will sustain them. So we make sure we prepare them for a life outside all that. That eventuality when they are settled, they can always reunite back with their kids that we often have under care or maybe back in the communities. Yeah. <laughs> So what I really want to do is spend about the next hour just asking you more questions, um, but then they don't get to lunch on time and it gets a little dangerous. So what we're going to do is uh, in a minute, we're just going to pray over Shifra. We're going to pray for this ministry at Wells of Hope. That's one of the many ministries that they're involved in. Lives are being transformed and we're a part of that. God is using us. So when we're praying for Wells of Hope, I want you to put a face with that. I want you to put an idea with this and understand what it is that they're doing. Some of us uh, as individuals are supporting Wells of Hope directly financially. Others of us have ad uh, adopted uh, children through their ministry program. Uh, as a church, we send significant funds on a, on a monthly basis to Wells of Hope. We did, um, just a few months ago, a, a big, long fundraiser in which we helped them to build the buildings that you see behind you. So, so we're actively involved. This is the ministry of Grace Fellowship and many other believers around the world coming together and going, hey, together we can do this amazing work. Yes, and, and to, yeah, please. I want to represent in this, uh, I want to represent the children and the worlds of help ministries that have a parent in prison to send their gratitude and appreciation to Grace Fellowship. Thank you so much for spreading love across borders, for restoring the hope to those children out there. I have been with the kids as we walked from the schools to go and visit their parents in, in, in prisons which you support, which you help us to make real. And oh my God, the joy that you provide to these kids is unimaginable. We have had lives change because of you and thank you so much. So they send their regards and appreciation to you. They love you all and appreciate all that do you're doing and are praying all the time for you. Praise God. So what we're gonna do is, you know, they never clap for me when I'm preaching. <laughs> What we're going to do is uh, out in the coffee bar area after the service, Shifra is going to be there. There's going to be information if you want to hear about, hey, how do you support these children, uh, what's going on in their ministry. Even I think you brought some things that are made by the ladies in the home that help support that if anybody wants to financially support that by buying something. She's going to be here, stick around and talk with her afterwards, um, but uh we're covering lots of ministries here. So let me take a minute and let's just extend a hand and let's pray for our sister. Heavenly Father, we say thank you for your amazing grace and the way that we see it and hear about it in Shifra's testimony, the way you have taken her life from incarceration to massive impact for the kingdom and how you're doing that through so many others because of her, Francis, and so many others like Marjorie and others who are investing in this ministry. We pray, God, for this women's home to grow and flourish, to be financially supported, to to be uh, covered with volunteers and all the people that are needed. They would have the resources that they need. We pray, God, that you would stir in us, the people of Grace Fellowship, a fire to be involved in prayer and support for this. We pray for our dear brother Francis, 
Father, he has such responsibility, so much to lead and so much to do, and his health is always being challenged, and so we pray for him. We ask you, God, to just put your arms around him, lift him up, and carry him to the finish line. We thank you for what you're doing through Wells of Hope, and we pray that you would continue doing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Okay, God bless you, sister. Okay, make sure you talk to her outside. Okay, for those of you looking at your watches, I know what you're saying. Why did he have to talk so much at the beginning? Okay, give me a second because it is cool to be involved in all this life-changing ministry, isn't it? It's, it's, it's amazing. Do you have time to hear about one more? Okay. Um, I'm going to ask Nick to come up. Nick Burns. Where'd Nick go? Oh, there he is. You guys have met Nick. So... Uh, Nick is uh, the worship leader here at Grace Fellowship, and almost all of you have met him or seen him or know about him. Um, and uh, when we were interviewing people for this role and talking with Nick, one of the things as we got closer to thinking, hey, you might really be the person that God is calling to this role, is he goes, there's something I need to tell you. I'm like, oh, great, here it comes. Here it comes, right? And he said, um, I'm committed to spending a month in Ukraine uh, for pretty much the whole month of September. I'm going to be there on a mission trip, so you know I can't even think about anything else if that is not acceptable. And I was like, Ukraine? You're kidding me. We just took a special offering for Ukraine. We have a heart for Ukraine. God has already put in our church a desire to see Ukraine reached. And so I want to ask you, we just got a couple minutes here, but I want to ask you, um, first of all, why Ukraine? What is the need all about? For anybody who hasn't seen on the news or doesn't know what we're talking about, why Ukraine? Um, well, uh, I myself am Ukrainian from my grandmother's side, and um, I actually started learning language. I'm trying to be quick here. I uh, started learning language so I can impress her and speak to her. Um, and I had already meant to visit Ukraine, and it just never worked out. And so the, uh, the one time it does work out is in the middle of a war. Um, God had inspired uh, one of the people at my previous church to bless me with the plane ticket to go. Um, so I get to pair up with a, uh, uh, a group called Youth with a Mission. And uh, they didn't start out. Uh, I know I'm getting off topic no, here. but you're fine. Uh, just to kind of be quick. But um, they didn't start off as a, uh, a ministry for... Uh, recovery and stuff like that. They started off as going into villages in the Carpathian mountain range to minister to like gypsies and stuff like that. And then once everything went down, they transitioned over to providing humanitarian aid. Um, to date, they've built 10 houses. They've um, donated about 4,000 kilograms of medication. Um, I forgot how many tons of water and food and liquid um, for people in those villages. Um, and so part of the reason why I'm going is so I can help my friends who I know personally over there over the years of trying to learn the language and to go into those villages, build temporary housing so people have roofs over their head. Um, so, Yeah, if for some reason you're not aware, there's a terrible war going on. Russia invaded Ukraine several months ago. Most people said, oh, Ukraine will be decimated in no time and Russia will just roll in and take over. And yet uh, there's people all around the world praying for the Ukrainian people and this unjust war that is happening and ruining lives. And uh, those people just continue to be sustained by God. God is doing amazing things. Um, but the suffering is unbelievable. Just, just picture what you've seen of footage of World War II, villages completely bombed out, just, just piles of ashes where there used to be communities. Uh, people have had to flee, and then there are some people who can't afford to flee. They, they don't have any resources to do that. They don't, they're not physically healthy enough to do that. It's a horrific situation. So, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong or clarify, Nick is going to be going into areas that are completely bombed out, and they're going to be ministering to the people there who are still left, and they're going to be rebuilding a shelter and houses and making it possible for them to actually live and have their lives sustained. And is that pretty accurate? Yes. Uh, so, we'll be based in Kiev, and then we'll go further east towards the, uh, the Chernikiv region. 
and that's uh, mainly uh, villages that have been isolated. It's the elderly who don't have the, uh, the means to get out of their situation. Um, their houses, their farms have been littered with landmines and, and stuff like that. Uh, tractors get blown up if they try and harvest wheat. Um, so those are the, uh, the kind of like the target uh, recipients of, of everything that we're trying to help them out with um, is uh, going to these, these elderly homes where they don't have any more a roof over their head or uh, if they do, it's, it's been shelled out and everything. So, so two things, uh, how can we pray and how can we support you in any kind of practical way? Um, the practical way, uh, $2,000 would care for room and board. Anything past that, um, they do need additional funds for any sort of resources, whether it's food, um, anything past like a, a five to, to $10,000 threshold pretty much takes care of a good portion of at least one house. Um, and then the other side of that is definitely prayer. Um, I absolutely 100% believe in the power of prayer. Um, I know it changes the, the spiritual, changes the physical. And um, if you keep me in your prayers, I know that God will provide. Amen. So, so let me be practical about the financial side of this. Uh, all of these ministries we've been talking about are receiving checks from us regularly. When you give at Grace Fellowship, that money funnels through this church, goes out across borders and does that work. And from time to time, there's a special need like when uh, for Wells of Hope, we helped uh, with the building of the buildings, which by the way, still continue to need a whole lot of financial support for. Uh, there was a time a couple of years, uh, several years ago now, where we needed actually to buy a house in Jinja for Raining Hope. We raised the money at Grace Fellowship, sent them $100,000, bought a house, this little church. So we, we do these things from time to time. We send someone on a short-term mission or something like that, and that becomes a special offering kind of a thing. So if God has put on your heart to support Nick's ministry in Ukraine, then you can do that. You can just earmark um, part of an extra offering. If you just take it from your regular offering that you would have given, that uh, defeats the purpose. But if God puts it on your heart to give above and beyond that, David is over there. Um, between David and Garrett, you guys could set up a thing on the Church Center app so that people can give directly to that. Um, I hope they don't shoot me for this. I'm saying this off the top of my head right now. So hopefully we can do that. But one way or another, if you just make it clear that you're giving an extra offering for Ukraine, that will go for his trip and um, we'll do that. So we're going to pray over Nick as well. He's going to be here for the next few weeks. He's leaving at the end of August. But let's pray for the preparation and the work that needs to be done between now and then. Father, we just lift up our brother Nick to you. We thank you for calling him. We thank you for the work you've been doing in advance because you knew this day was coming. You knew these needs were going to be there and you've been teaching him the language and you've been preparing his heart and giving him relationships with people in these very regions. So we pray that you would go before him and continue to make a way. We pray that the financial needs would be completely taken care of. We pray that his health would be maintained and the health of the others who are going with them. We pray for those leaders with Youth with a Mission and others who are going to be going. We ask you, God, to just guide and direct them and fill them with your spirit. But mostly we want to pray for the Ukrainian people who are suffering. We ask you, God, to intervene, to have your way, and to do them miraculous in their midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, bud. Okay, you guys have been incredibly patient. Um, that highlights some of the ways we're doing what he told us to do in Acts chapter 1. That's what we're about. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God. And so our lives here are busy, they're complicated, we're dealing with our own challenges and our own opportunities and, and are uh, dealing with all of the external things that happen in our lives and all of us have got burdens to carry and all of that. But I just want to remind you, it's not about us. It's about God's work in the kingdom and what he's 
doing. We're here on mission. Our time on earth is short, my friends. Those of you who have the same color hair as I do or have the same hairstyle as I do know what I'm talking about. The years go by quickly and we only get so much time. Let's use that time. Let's use our talent. Let's use our treasures for things that have eternal significance. So this is just a little reminder today to say God has called us to something great. He's called us to it together. And we have the opportunity to be used of God to transform lives. So be praying for all of these ministries that have been highlighted today on a regular basis. Please ask God how he wants you to be more involved. And please remember that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are called to impact your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. We are in this together. Together, we're seeing God change the world through us. Loving God, loving people, changing the world. Let's stand and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for the incredible privilege of being a part of what you're doing in this world. We thank you that you would look to us and say, I'm entrusting you with the, with the lives of these dear people. I pray, God, that you would make us faithful. I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to, um, to steward the resources you've given us, whether it's finances or time or energy or, or just love and compassion. I pray, God, that you would make us those who are impacting our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. We pray for each and every one of these ministries that's been highlighted today. We pray that you would have your way, God. We pray that miracles would happen. We pray that you would show yourself strong and that people would be drawn to you because of it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.